Good evening, my friends. How have you been? I have been much better. Much better since last week. And I was not that much worse last week. It's just that I was, well, confused. I'm a little less so now. Or at least I've become comfortable with uncertainty. Perhaps that's just as good. At any rate, I think today I shall reveal the card I drew for this week first, since I think it very quickly made its nature known to me. I should probably say this, I do not claim to be any kind of clairvoyant. I do not believe that I know the future. I don't even know the past, and I'm barely familiar with my own present. Do not look to me for soothsaying or insight into the unknown. What I am merely doing here is exploring ideas, themes, and if you choose to explore them with me, then excellent. I believe that we each have within us worlds upon worlds upon worlds. Have I said that before? It sounds familiar. Anyway, I believe this. I know this. So I know that we each have every single card of the tarot deck within us. Perhaps they may simply help us to know ourselves more deeply. I just wanted to say that. Having said that, when it was time, I sat out in the open air, boldly and confidently, and shuffled the cards. And I drew, this week, the Four of Cups, the card for missed chances, the card for indifference, apathy, useless longing, rejecting that which is right in front of you, for want of something you may never even have. How terrible. But as with any card that has a seemingly immediate negative meaning, there is a positive message. And I believe that this card's positive message is that we must find what we truly love. Not only find it, but recognize it when we see it, so that we may take the next step and actually accept it. One can spend their whole life searching, yearning, and before you know it, you have on your hands instead a wasted life. Sometimes you have to drink from the cups you're presented with, lest you die of thirst for want of something better. No, not better. Something else. For I think the Four of Cups doesn't quite know what's good for it. I feel that I have been doing an excellent job of accepting my blessings lately. Now that I have let myself loose upon the forest, I am inspired. I adore haunting this place, and I do it so well, you see. It's almost as if I've always been here. A couple entered my woods this week. Two lost humans. Confused and afraid. 
I cannot deny that I was entertained by their fear. Though they were good and respectful towards my forest, I delighted in their lost faces and desperate cries for help. And for a little while I played with them, led one off in one direction and the other in another, whispered in their ears, showed them a glimpse of my glowing eyes. I realized quickly that I could mimic their voices perfectly, and I used this tool to lead them on a merry chase. Well, merry for me, anyway. I told you that I might enjoy causing mischief, and oh, this is what I meant. But it is mischief and not malice, at least. And when they were tired and lost and confused and alone, I had a chance to look at them, to see the softness in their eyes and hearts, and realize that they meant me and my woods no harm. These were good people. They did not give me a gift, but I decided to take mercy on them. I led them back to each other, and then to clean water that they could drink, and then to safety. And they gave a thanks to whatever saved them. I don't think they suspected me, but I feel that they knew something had steered them this evening, and that is enough. And they left. I do not mean harm. Perhaps I just want to have it be known that this place is my home. It is not my place, you understand. It is everyone's place. But it is where I live. You may visit, of course. I am no tyrant in the woods. But you should expect to meet me in some way or another. I am neither indifferent nor apathetic, as the Four of Cups suggests, but perhaps that is because I have found my passion. I have found what brings my heart joy. And it is engaging with lost humans in this ancient, natural place. I suppose I have a strange idea of what being a good host is, but I am learning. As I watched these two humans heading home in the sunset, their arms gratefully wrapped around each other, I felt someone watching me, and from the growing evening shadows, I saw two orange, no red, no orange, eyes, watching me. I watched them right back, but they did nothing, and then they disappeared. I would gladly speak to you, whoever you are. I feel that I know you. I feel you, hovering around me, waiting, watching. Why do you not introduce yourself? I think that the Four of Cups may be for him. He who comes with fire and whispers to me, as I whisper to humans. He doesn't seem to realize that I am right in front of him, and I am ready to meet. Whoever you are, my fiery friend, this is for you. This little story, this little message 
from the Four of Cups. Once, long ago, but not so very long ago, there was a poet. This poet was blessed in many ways. First he was blessed with beauty, for everyone who saw him immediately fell prey to his charms and his exquisite loveliness. Second, he was blessed with wealth, for being heir to an aristocratic family gave him the opportunity in the first place to even be able to try his hand at poetry, and concentrate all of his efforts on it, not needing to ever worry a single day of his life about survival. And third, he was blessed with talent. There is no amount of passion or education or a decadent upbringing that could make up for the lack of talent, you see. And his poetry was so very beautiful that people wept openly at his readings. Sometimes they would faint at the imagery he conjured. Sometimes they would fall ill. So beautiful were the words he strung together that they could break your heart for a week. It is perhaps an unfairness of this world that talent and good fortune and beauty can combine themselves so readily in a single person. However, our poet was aware of the rareness of his situation, and he squeezed every last drop out of it. He had a hunger for his own charm. He used it frequently to achieve his own ends. He knew he could wrap any person around his finger. And oh, he did. Night after night, he spent in the throes of food and wine and opulence and pleasurable company. And of course, his own words. He desired himself more than he could ever desire anyone else. Or even more than anyone else could desire him. Not heartless. For I'm not certain that anyone can truly be heartless but rather, his heart belonged to himself. And that means that the one thing he feared more than anything else in the world was the loss of himself. Not only his life, which, believe me, was a very real fear for him too, but the loss of his talent, his wealth, and his beauty. The things he felt defined him. The things he felt that, if he were to lose them, would cause him to lose the love he received, but did not return, from other people as well. We know stories such as this, do we not? A young, spoiled, creative person who fears death. Why do I know this story so well, too? And further, what is the logical step now, in our story? What is the next chapter? Of course, he made a bargain. He didn't realize what he was asking for. Not really. Alone one evening, a rare thing for someone so used to demanding and commanding the company of others, he had been weeping. Weeping for his temporary solitude, which he hated. Weeping for his latest poem, which he was more in love with than any of his devoted followers were. But most of all, weeping for his soul. 
for his poetry admired innocence and goodness, and he knew that he had very little of those left inside of himself, for all of his debauchery and selfishness. And so though he loved himself, he also hated himself. And as I said, he clung desperately to himself. He wanted to live forever. Perhaps those who feel they've wasted their life wish for immortality more fervently than others. But this was the case. He wished and he wished and he wished for eternal youth. He wanted to be what he was now, but for always. Ah, there it is. When a selfish wish is made, selfish things flock to it. Alone in his room with only a candle, sitting in front of the mirror, staring into his own bloodshot, weeping eyes, The poet cried out when his candle suddenly extinguished itself. Fumbling with drunken hands, he took a match and lit it again. And in his reflection beside him was someone else. I always hesitate to use the word demon, but I will use it here. In the dim light of the candle... At first our poet just saw the face in the reflection, but barely. Eyes that were large and red, so wide that they seemed to adore him somehow, at the same time that they were terrifying to look at. They were impossible to look away from because they were so filled with a dreamy kind of love. Obsessed eyes, perhaps. Heavy and lined as though they were never able to close for rest, and certainly that seemed to be true, for they did not blink. Ever. A mouth that was open in a permanent gasp. A constant state of awe, as they looked at the object of their obsession, which was the poet. The poet was not unused to this look, but on this creature it was a horror to behold. But it was what he wanted, wasn't it? He turned around to look at it through his own eyes and not through the reflection. Though their eyes were red and exhausted with desperate love, they were heavily lashed, almost extravagantly so. Their lips were full and red, and their hair was thick and red, too. Their skin was a whitish pink, a strange pale pink that made him feel sick to his stomach. What are you? The poet asked. What? The creature said, and their face went from starstruck awe to relaxed confidence. The switch was unsettling. Oh, dear. I thought you would like this most of all. Those overly lovely eyes fell in disappointment, but they raised themselves as quickly as they fell, 
and their lips curled into a smile. I am here to answer your call. When the poet did not reply to this, the demon continued. You wish to live forever and continue to share your poetry with the world. I wish this as well. I have come to offer you eternal life. Not only eternal life, but eternal beauty as well. Beauty of words, of face, beauty of everything that you value. Young and beautiful forever. Is that not what you wanted? When the poet still didn't answer, for admitting our most selfish longings out loud is difficult for anyone, even the most selfish of us, the creature continued, Ah, but not just youth, life and beauty, I see. You also want love. Why, that is easiest of all. I can grant that to you, too, forever. The poet did not answer for some time. He had read tales of those who had made deals with devils before, and he knew that it never ended well. But oh, this devil's words were so charming, so lovely. And the more he watched those round, loving eyes and the way they looked at him, he knew that he did want all of those things. He wanted the world forever and ever. What do you want from me in return? He asked. And though he trembled at the knowledge that he was speaking to someone or something from an entirely different world than his, he did not mask his suspicion. The creature's eyes went larger than ever before now. They thought for a long time, taken aback by the question strangely. And while they thought, their mouth dropped open again, and they froze in place in that horrific expression of awe once more. When they came to their answer, the creature's face immediately relaxed once more. I will find you in one year, and I will have an answer for you. If you do not agree, we can call the bargain off. The poet thought it through. If this was not a fever dream and if the demon was an honest demon, then surely there was nothing to lose, and he would gain a year. A year without aging without changing for the worse. He nodded, and the creature beamed. They extended their hand, a hand with long, delicate fingers and sharp red nails, and they shook on it. As they shook hands, a pink and red smoke billowed around them, and the demon sighed a sigh that sounded like love, but worse. And then they were gone. When he awoke the next day, the poet wasn't sure if there had ever been a demon to begin with. He went about his day. He went about his year. 
and though he wasn't quite sure, he did realize that he was never not beautiful. Even when waking in the morning, even when stumbling home drunk, he was always lovely. And though a year is too little time to tell, he did not think he was growing old. His hair did not grow. His body did not change. His face did not look tired or weary or any different than it had that first night. And his poems were celebrated. He was sought after for his beauty and for his words, but despite all of that, he was still unhappy. He was still fearful. He was still full of longing. Though he was always surrounded by lovers, by admirers, and though his home was always full of flowers from strangers, no one person slaked his thirst. No one person's praise could ever make him feel worthy enough. He needed more, 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 and it drove him into the dark depths of despair again. One year from the night he first met that demon and they appeared in his room again, filling their horrible and beautiful red eyes with the sight of him once more. I have returned to discuss our bargain, they said, their voice sickeningly soft and sweet. Do you still want to be this way forever? He trembled less at the sight this time, though he still trembled. Yes. Yes, I need this. Forever. He stammered. And he stood, stumbling about his room. And what do you want in return? The demon smiled its calm and conniving smile again. I have still not decided what your payment will be. A fine gentleman such as yourself has so many things that a terrible beast like me would want. I cannot decide. I shall return in a year from now with an answer for you. Until then, you may enjoy youth, beauty, and perpetual adoration for one more year. And when they went to shake hands once more, the creature smiled even more broadly and sighed even more deeply. So pleased they were to be in the poet's presence again. And they disappeared. Another year. Another year of lovers and admirers who meant nothing. Another year of beautiful poems that seemed to feed everyone's soul except his own. Another year of exceptional beauty and unchanging youth. Upon the demon's return, they asked the poet, Are you unhappy? Do you not have everything you want? He ranted and raved this time, no longer afraid. What is it worth? The feeble love of those who think they know me from my poetry. What is it worth, this unending beauty, if no one can give me what I want? The demon smiled, and again they had no answer about what they desired in return. They would return in a year. Every year. The same conversation. 
every year, the same conclusion. For decades, the poet was young and beautiful and talented and wealthy and adored. And it became more and more meaningless to him. No one was beautiful enough for him. No number of lovers was ever enough for him. No poem was acclaimed enough. And what was any of it worth if it didn't serve to make him happy? What's worse is that everyone around him changed. Devoted followers and friends and paramours grew old. And when they grew old, he grew tired of them. And with enough time, they all died. Sure, they were replaced by others. Some careful relocating and changing his name solved any problems that would inevitably come up. But those ones grew tired and then old and then died, too. And he began to despise the demon who came every year and postponed his payment. Every year, the demon would ask if the poet wanted to live another year in eternal youth and beauty and love. And every year the poet was too afraid to say no. But every year was more miserable. The world, of course, changed. Quills were replaced with pens. Pens were replaced with typewriters. Typewriters were replaced with computers. And our poet kept writing. And his writing remained beautiful, though he was in agony for centuries. In fact, it became more beautiful, perhaps, for he was desperately trying to regain the purity of his mortality through the purity of writing. An impossible task, but a noble one. And our poet had perhaps finally learned humility. He had finally, perhaps possibly, grown to understand that he had so many years behind him but he had squandered them all. And now he was numb to the beauty of a sunrise, or the love of another, or the gift of appreciation for something he created. He understood that they should be valuable to him. He understood that they should have always been valuable. But now it was too late. He had missed the chance for these things to actually mean something to him. Now what was once rare had become common. On the year of their anniversary, the demon returned, of course. And when they asked if he wanted to be young and beautiful and adored for another year, the poet answered, No. The demon's face fell open in an expression of genuine shock. Not that empty awe that they usually came to him with. And then shock turned to horrible grief. They didn't understand. The poet spoke the most this time. Sober, calm, and sad. He pulled up a chair for the demon and sat across from them. He explained. I am not sure for whom I am living so long, but it is not for me. I did not know what kind of love I sought. 
but I don't think I was ever granted it. You promised me eternal love, but I do not feel it. I have not been able to feel it for some time. And I know it is my own fault. My own blindness. No, it is time for me to go, I think. I understand now what you have been doing. You have been punishing my selfishness in a way that seems like reward. It is a prison of my own design. I understand. And my lesson has been learned. Let me go now. And the demon's eyes, still adoring and obsessed and huge, grew moist with tears. Strange, the poet said aloud without meaning to. I didn't know demons could weep. I did not mean to punish you. The demon began, their voice sorrowful. What can I give you? to convince you to stay. What else is it that you desire? Name it, name it. But do not ask to leave me, for there is no other like you in this world. And I have searched. Since the beginning of time, I have searched. Do not ask to leave me. Sitting across from this creature, the poet suddenly realized the truth. He had been so obsessed with himself that he had never looked at the demon. Not really, not truly. Looking into their face, designed to be what they thought the poet would find beautiful, he realized just how twisted and corrupted the creature had become from loneliness. Eternal love and adoration, he whispered, and realized that he was looking into the face of those very things. This sad creature who had become the embodiment of them, just for this poet. He had wished for those things, and so they had made themselves those things for him. You granted your own wish, didn't you? The poet whispered. And the demon wailed and wept. Oh. Shh. The poet immediately went to their side and embraced them. Oh. I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. Oh, they are there. How easy it is to forget, in the clutches of our own longing, that others have longings of their own, too. How easy it is to ignore the thing that is right before your eyes, ready and willing to grant your fondest wish. How easy it is to look for love in all the places love is not. How easy to miss it. 
how easy to not want what is most within your grasp. How easy it is to want, and how difficult it is to accept. Sometimes I wonder whether the poet and the demon walk the world still. I wonder what they do, and what they want now. I wonder if one can be alive so long and bear it. And then I recall that I have done that very thing, and I am confident that yes, they can. They can bear it, and more than that, they can thrive. A gentle story it was for tonight. It is a story for you, dear listener, but it is also a story for my own heart. My own green little heart, still growing. And also a story for he who brings fire to my doorstep. He who covets but does not seek. He who has been too afraid to introduce himself. Even still. He is listening now. Can you feel him? I can. I can feel you. I think I know who you are. The Four of Cups is for him. Heed its lesson well. And as for you, my friend, my dear listener, have sweet dreams. Until next time. friends, and welcome to episode 107 of On a Dark Cold Night. This is Kristen Zaza speaking. I'm the writer, host, composer, performer, human being, question mark, behind the show. Thanks so much for listening tonight. I hope you enjoyed the story this week. Starting out tonight as usual with some thank yous. First off, a big thank you to M. Lumpkins for becoming a monthly patron of the show on Patreon. Thank you so much for your generous pledge, M. Lumpkins. I'm so very grateful. Anyone who becomes a monthly patron gains as a perk, of course, in addition to my sincere thanks, access to the soundtrack of the show, which is constantly being updated as new episodes are released. If you'd like to learn more and support the show like M. Lumpkins, you can do so by visiting patreon.com slash darkcoldnight. I'm also thanking an anonymous supporter who left us a donation on coffee.com. Thank you so much, mystery patron. That means a lot to me. If you'd prefer to make a one-time donation like this anonymous someone, you can visit my page there at ko-fi.com slash darkcoldnight. And as always, we have t-shirts and hoodies available via bonfire.com slash on-a-dark-cold-night. If you'd like to get cozy with some On a Dark Cold Night merch. I'm also thanking iTunes user Howard Gostin, a wonderful supporter of the show who left me a really, really kind review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much, Howard. I'm so happy that you and your wife are enjoying the show. 
If you'd like to share some words in support of the show too, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Stitcher, our Facebook page, or anywhere else. You can also reach out and follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter at A Dark Cold Night, Instagram at Dark Cold Night Podcast, and Facebook and YouTube, both under the name On A Dark Cold Night. Thank you so much for joining me and listening into tonight's story. I hope you're staying well out there, wherever you are. And I hope you have a good rest tonight. Sleep well and talk soon. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar.